Welcome to Building the Future. I'm your host, Kevin Horick. The radio and TV version of the show air in over 12 states. This includes both coasts and Silicon Valley. The show also airs in the UK, Caribbean, and Australia. For full show times, plus past episodes of the TV and radio show, please visit buildingthefutureshow.com. We just launched a free online community to connect past guests, listeners, and others. This community will allow you to network, chat on Slack, or get help with anything else, and a lot more. If you're interested in joining the community, buying some merch, sponsoring the show, or signing up for the newsletter, please go to buildingthefutureshow.com. I want to invite all of you in the Building the Future community to join me at SUPEX, the Startup Expo in Fort Lauderdale, Florida, this July 26th, where I'll be the MC. SUPEX is one of the largest and best startup conferences in the U.S. and the official gathering of the Building the Future community this summer. SUPEX has cutting-edge content, a cool startup competition, and a half-day forum this year called Hashtag Women for Women, the largest gathering in the U.S. in 2018 of angel groups, seed funds, and BC funds focused on female founders and female entrepreneurs. For more information, visit www.sup-x.org. I hope to see all my Building the Future friends there. Welcome back to the show. Today we have Alex Volrobiev. He's a business advisor, author, coach, and speaker. Alex, welcome to the show. Thanks for having me, Kevin. Yeah, I'm excited to have you on the show. I, I think what you're you're doing is is kind of interesting and and very kind of intuitive. And I think a lot of people listening to the show, you know, could could really benefit from kind of your experience on this stuff. But maybe before we kind of get into all that fun stuff, let's get to know you a little bit better and start off with where you grew up. Sure. I grew up in Southern California. I was born in Hollywood, California, and was nice. raised in Orange County, California. Okay. So obviously it, it's interesting talking to somebody that's kind of born and raised in California because I think a lot of people um, were not born there. They end up moving there at some point in their life. Um, but it's cool, right? When you kind of meet somebody that was born and raised there to kind of get their full thoughts on some things. Um, so walk me through kind of your journey. You've been, you went to kind of university, you've been for a handful of different things. What did you take in university and, and what got you passionate about those things? Sure. Uh, well, I went to university at the University of Southern California. Okay. And I, I, want, I always wanted to go into business. I didn't know what. And I was studying, I was going to school during a recession in the early 90s. Okay. So really dating myself. Oh, it's all good. And I wanted to get a job. That was kind of my number one priority of going to school is I wanted to get a job. I like numbers. And at the time, they were hiring in a, the accounting world. And so and there was a, a really good, the, the USC accounting school within the business school was was a good school and placed most of their students in good jobs so that's the what direction I went and it it was it worked out differently than I thought but it worked out really well because it gave me a good solid foundation to understand financial statements and how they interact and how a balance sheet works and how it works with a statement of cash flows and income statement that I've used throughout my career. Sure. I, I think having a background in finance, no matter kind of what you do in life, whether you start your own business or, or just work your whole career, I think understanding that is always beneficial, right? I, I think, sure. Being able to understand the reports on hey, how a business is doing, that's helpful. What, what I think it's even on a deeper level, the critical skill of understanding how a system works. Sure. To me, fair. it's almost similar to how chemistry works in terms of, hey, you have a reaction, you should be able to track it on the other side. When you have that sort of thought process and discipline, you can translate it to other things. And that's, I've encouraged my daughter to study things that at least give her did the discipline to understand how a system works because you can always take that to other things. Sure. And I found that with accounting that if you can understand how something flows within the the dynamics of it, it's, it's easier to do it in other things once you've cracked the code in one of them. 
Hmm. That's actually quite fascinating. Yeah, that's actually really good advice. I, I never really kind of thought of it like that, but it, it makes a lot of sense, right? Because once you learn that one kind of skill, you can very much transfer that along. No, that makes that makes a lot of sense. So you you obviously get out of university, you've done a ton of stuff. Do you maybe you kind of want to walk us through, you know, your career up until kind of what you're doing now and maybe some career highlights? Sure, sure. So I came out of school in, in the mid-90s, 94, and uh, real estate had been gone through, was going through uh, a, a workout stage after the recession, and I got, I got a number of job offers. Uh, one of them was to go work for the, what, the biggest, I think they were the biggest accounting firm, Arthur Anderson at the time. Okay. And they sent me to their training facility, and they were pretty amazing, and they thought a lot about themselves. But something just kind of, I don't know, just kind of rubbed me the wrong way. They had sort of a little bit of a, an arrogant sense. And so I, I decided not to go with Arthur Anderson. Okay. And I decided to go the other, the other side of the spectrum where it was a firm that wasn't in the big six, but it was, it was, it was just on the outside. It's called Kenneth Leventhal and they focused just on real estate. And okay. so it was kind of counter counterintuitive to go into the industry that was struggling at the time, but they were just, they, they liked to figure things out and they were, they kind of there were I read some books about where they were mentioned in there and how they did workouts of big developers and they try to figure things out and what clinched it for me was one of the recruiting things one of their partners literally reminded me of Johnny Carson okay interesting the listeners know about you know, short guy white hair chain smoker dry sense of humor and this one partner comes in and basically was Johnny Carson, looked like him, spoke <laughs> like him, cracked jokes like him, and talked about we work hard and we figure things out and like, well, I think everyone's gonna want to work for these guys. And so that's that's where I went to work and we were doing the workout of the savings and loans at the at the time, the RTC Resolution Trust Corporation, which really we've got li- literally got a box of documents from these failed savings and loans and we had to figure out what the loans were worth. Okay, interesting. What the assets were worth and we're packaging off sell. So there's a really good sense of what is the in- learning what the inherent economic value of something was from the evidence and you had to piece things together and that was something that I used a lot later in my career in lots of different industries. Like, what's it worth? What's this box of whatever worth? And we also were doing developer workouts and taking, you know, spreadsheets were in the early days, but we were building spreadsheets and trying to figure out what things were worth, what racetracks, horse racetracks were worth, what if we converted them. So it was always sort of interesting in figuring things out. And that was, that was two years of, all kinds of cleanup projects, but I, I, I didn't, I realized I didn't want to really be an accountant per se. And okay. so I did my two years and I got my CPA certificate, certified public accountant certificate. And I left uh, about a month after my two years were up. And one of my managers from, from Kenneth Leventhal, we've been acquired by Ernst and Young during that period. And which really was great because we got, good training from that okay. and the partners got their their lifetime pensions paid for so that's why nice. they sold out so, so it was good for both of us but my my manager had gone to work for a company that was consolidating the timeshare industry okay and so i joined this co- this company uh, the literally the day it went public and they had eight properties on the day I joined and I went to work for the CEO and I was going to be the analyst and figuring out we wanted to buy raw land, existing projects, companies, convert hotels. And that started, that was a a fun couple of years of going around all over the place and buying land, buying companies. We converted a huge hotel in Hawaii into timeshare and we partnered with Goldman Sachs, and I just learned how to 
value things, how to put things into numbers, how to communicate things to within the company, uh, externally to financing. So it was, it was a lot of fun. And after two years, I think we had it was over 70 resorts. Wow. And uh, we're on three continents. So it was, it was a busy couple of years. Sure. But a lot of fun. But then I got sort of the what every deal person, what I noticed, I got the education a deal person should get before they start doing acquisitions. I realized that we buy all these things and I do these this analysis on how to build it out, what to spend, when to spend it. And timeshare can be, is very capital intensive and it takes a long time. Sure. But we'd, we'd hand it off to our operations component, which was actually on, on the East Coast, and we were on the West Coast. And I realized they didn't even look at the plans. Okay. They didn't look at this stuff. They just kind of went off and did it. And so a lot of the, the projects weren't working very well. And so I, I analyzed, hey, what could we do so that we take into account the construction element, the sales element, the um, hospitality uh, property manage element element of it, and so that we can actually realize the returns that we were originally projecting. And so, I literally developed my own job description, and the the chief operating officer said, "Okay, well, why don't you be one of one of these business managers?" And so I managed a region, and I really learned, oh, gee, uh, I, I can put a lot of stuff in a spreadsheet, but how do you really get it to come to fruition? That's a that's that's a, re, a real challenge in business. Sure. And so I wish I would have done it the opposite way, operated something before buying them. But <laughs> it was uh, it was eye opening because some of the best things on paper at the initial were some of the worst projects. And some of the ones that looked the and some of the ones that looked the least good turned out to be the best. And part of that was one of the, we did a big project in Hawaii and Goldman Sachs, and they made us analyze it so many different ways that, and we took so many things into account that the IRR, the internal rate of return kept going down. Okay. But, but finally, you know, we finished the analysis and everything. We took everything into account. We had the best plan that we had done for any of the projects, especially the ones we did internally and didn't have to have an outside partner and that project did the best. Interesting. It was, it really was eye opening from how they did their work and how they checked their bases versus how other people did. Sure. So was there like, were you always kind of passionate about real estate or did you just kind of happen to fall into it a little bit? I liked it, but I wasn't, I don't know if I was passionate about it. I okay. grew, growing up in Orange County in Southern California, it's sure. very prevalent. I mean, some may say that the only industry of Southern California and parts of it is just building houses, financing those houses, and and then pulling money out to augment ourselves in that. So in real estate, it's, just, it's kind of the big industry in Southern California. Sure. More than anything. And it was it was something that I think I was more attracted to it because of the counter it was counterintuitive to go into it at the time. Okay, interesting. Sure. No, that's that's quite fascinating. So, walk me through your journey into kind of going off on your own and and becoming you know your doing your own thing. Like, what made you decide to kind of by by the sounds of it like a pretty good job that you could have or industry that you could have probably you know, stayed in for the rest of your life. Sure. It what this the company, the timeshare company, it was dysfunctional. Okay. It just it was frustrating to do anything. And it was it was getting to the point where I when I went to work in the operation side, I worked for a guy who taught me a lot. Okay. And he, he was one of the great leaders. And he wasn't from Harvard Business School. He he was just a really good, he really understood human nature okay. and he understood how to lead people. And he taught me a ton. Okay. 
And we were one part of the, we were on the west side, west west coast of the company, and it was it was on three continents, and it was starting to struggle. Okay. And it was it was we were one of the first ones to have a securitization fail, kind of like the the mortgage securitization failed in two thousand seven. Sure. So, so I could see the writing on the wall that there was going to be issues, and we I had done a joint venture for a to create a golf management company and one of for this for the for the timeshare company and the guy we did it who had a golf course we did I had negotiated a deal and he had a telecom company okay that was building out the last mile at the time and so we just got to talking and he said hey why don't you help me with my telecom company and uh, help me on the structure it and the finances and that I felt like I had a chance to work with a company that hadn't grown to a billion dollars and was dysfunctional. Okay. And that got me, I always wanted to build companies and be part of something that, that worked well. I was just always attracted to that. Okay. And so I went to work for, for that, this, this company is building out the telecom. And that was interesting because I got from the ground floor. It was a, a decent sized company, but, we had to get our financials audited. I need to get debt financing. We wanted to raise equity, and we we went and we wanted to put in a a, uh, a new accounting system and a and a front end system. So we went and did all those things, and so I got to do it and lead it myself, which was was rewarding. Sure. It just the telecom industry ended up crashing. <laughs> so. That's what that's what led me to doing to going uh, to looking for my own opportunities was that the the owner's like hey well this this he was a a wise guy a wise a wise man he just said this too shall pass and he loved to play golf and he's like we'll just play more golf <laughs> I'm like, yeah, I don't know I, I just feel at this point in my life I shouldn't be playing more golf and I was trying to save money for the company. And I was literally, I got down to where I was unplugging the soda machine to save, save, save uh, money, wow. you know, unplug it at night. I just was running out of things to do. Sure. And, and one of my friends needed help on cleaning up another company. I said, well, wh- why don't I just do this part? Why don't I do kind of do part time on the, with the telecom company on this other one? And that's, how I got started back in 2003 in terms of cleaning up companies and working with them it was just from the fact that I just didn't want to play golf and pull the plug on the soda machine at night. I wanted to, <laughs> I wanted to, awesome. I wanted projects that were interesting and that that's what got me going in. Sure. So you, you kind of just touched on it, but, and you wrote a book called transform your company, escape frustration, align your business and get your life back. What exactly, well, I think that pretty much sums it up, but like what exactly do you kind of cover in the book and how do you work with companies, you know, to actually make them better? Well, when I left 2003, uh, inevitably with my background as a CPA and and CFO, I'd I'd go and clean up companies. Okay. And there was always lots, there's lots of projects. But what I found was I was cleaning up symptoms. Because okay. it was it was almost like going to the overgrown backyard, saying, oh, "Okay, things are overgrown. We got to cut this. We got to trim this. We got to bring in some heavy machinery and and clean this out." And you could do that, but inevitably it would grow back. Uh, interesting. And it, and it would. And a lot of times, where I would do my my financial work, and the the owner, the leader, of the company say, "Hey." All right, we got the numbers. We can see where we're losing money, where we're making money, what we need to to cut, what we need to invest in. Why don't you help us take the company to the next level? And it definitely kind of run, and, and if it was an interesting company, I would, I would. But a lot so often we'd run into these roadblocks within the company of trying to get the company really moving and growing, and then we'd get frustrated. Sure. And and over time, like, okay, what is this? What? Why? Why are these companies getting stuck? 
why aren't we able to grow? Like you see all these ones on the cover of Forbes and business week. Why can't we do that? And so, and when I went to business school and we, we covered big company stuff and we cover, we covered disruptive startups, but we didn't never covered, okay, you got a mid sized company and it's stuck. What do you do? Sure. And why is it stuck? So that's what led to the book is I saw that there was tools out there to help get companies. What I noticed was a lot of times we weren't on the same page just okay. between the owner and the leadership team. Maybe there's a disagreement on, you know, what do, what do we need to do to be successful? What's the most important thing in the company? Who's responsible for what? There was unanswered questions. Okay. A lot of times there's kind of assumed answers. It's like I'd come across things like the E-Myth, the Great Game of Business, EOS, which is also called Traction or the Entrepreneurial Operating System, and, and eventually I came across Scaling Up Gazelles. I'm like, what are, and I would recommend them. And sometimes they work great, and sometimes they didn't. Okay. But when I would recommend them to people, they were like, well, what are they? I mean, are these kind of, what are these things? Are they planning systems? Are they management systems? Both of them kind of turn people off from a standpoint of, I don't want a management system. But what they really were were questions. A okay. set of important questions that when you answer them, it helps align people's actions. And so the, the original concept I'm writing the book and what a big part of it's about is what these systems do, and I call them business alignment systems, they answer, help you answer a series of questions so that people can make smaller decisions in alignment with them. Okay, interesting. And then it, and it kind of goes from the deep inside the company at its core its mission, it's, it's might be its purpose, but oftentimes it's its core value and moving up to the strategy level, which I call survival. How's, how's the company going to survive to human power, which you can call human resources, but how are you going to attract the best? How are you going to retain them? How are you going to compensate them to how you, how are you going to track things at the feedback level of a company, sure. which includes information systems? And then finally to the front lines, you know, what, what type of things are we doing? What are our people doing to provide value to our customers? How do we interact with our suppliers out on the front lines of the business? So the book gives a map on how to, how to improve your business and how best to go about it. Sure. Because most times, people start at that frontline level because that's where the problems visible. Okay. You know, we're having trouble, we're having trouble getting our product on time to our customers. Well, let's just focus on that. Okay. Well, you know, we got a bunch of different kinds of products and variations because we have a bunch of different types of customers. Sure. So if you, if you step back and go deeper within the company, which is counterintuitive, and answer some big questions like, hey, who's our core customer? Okay. And what are we trying to provide them? That makes those those decisions on the front lines a lot easier. Sure. Because maybe we're not, we don't want to serve seven different markets. Maybe we want to serve one or two. But unless you've answered that question, people are trying, to, you know, it, our instinct is, hey, if there's fires on the front line, let's put them out. Sure. But that's like and a so bandage that, solution, book, fair to say? It, it's a bandage solution, and that's what leads to the frustration. Mm. Because it's just it's the natural thing to do. The phone's ringing. The customer's mad. Okay, let's make them less mad and throw a Band-Aid on it because we have other fires to do. Sure. And it's, it's counterintuitive to say, hey, let's step back for a day. And let's talk about why does this company exist? Okay. And what are, how do we expect people to behave in this company? And if, when you don't do that, you're really subject to how are things going on the front lines of the business. Right. Interesting. So you have a chapter in the book called Confront Reality. How do you, as I think that's probably the hardest thing for companies to kind of come to terms with good and bad, right? When you're kind of 
bringing up the here's the things you guys do really well and here's the things that you need to work on like how do you kind of bridge that gap because i think getting people on just to confront that is probably at least in my experience probably the hardest thing is that a fair statement to say it, it is and it, it, that chapter wasn't in my original concept on writing the book okay it came from the fact of my experiences seeing the same system work great in one company and not in another okay and talking with us with other implementers of these systems that you know sometimes they work great sometimes they didn't when we dissected them it came to this realization, geez, all these systems help you kind of figure out what what you want to do, what the expected outcomes are, who's responsible for what. But inevitably, you, you try the plan, and it doesn't work at first. They All the systems require you to, to look at what happens and decide, okay, what do we need to change? Okay. Is it our process? Is it our product? Is it our people? It requires you to do that, and all these systems assume the leader has that capability. And, what, and I realized, gee, the evidence shows that's not the normal case. And what I found after I finished the book, we're actually wired not to have a good relationship with feedback. Our brains move so fast, we only want evidence that confirms our belief system. Because we're, we're naturally in a hurry. So when we see, hey, your technique for survival doesn't work very well, well, it must be some other reason. You know, let's try it again. Let's do it faster. Let's do it harder instead of well, let's think about it. And we're, we're just wired not to have this. And I don't know if you've seen any of Jim Collins' work, Good yeah, to Great. Yeah, yeah, built, yeah, totally. Built to last. And he talks about that level five leader. It's kind of mysterious. But if you boil it down, those leaders were very at a humble state, would look at what was going on, try to find what was working and do more of that. If something wasn't working, they try to address it or, hey, we're going to get out of that business. If it's just a bad business, we'll sell the mills. Sure. And that's it's an underlying theme, but it's rare because I think we're just not predisposed to have that sort of ability to confront reality. The only time, the one thing that I've seen that nature gives us the chance to, to overcome that is when we're hungry, we, our brain and our body secretes chemicals that actually help us to concentrate. Interesting. And so, and to think. So it's almost like until we're really hungry and desperate, we're not going to really think about doing it differently and when we're out on the savannah and which is where 10,000 years ago which were our brains are still programmed for that sure you know, it's like and we're gonna we're gonna hunt the way we normally hunt until that doesn't work anymore and we're really hungry then our brain's gonna go okay we we need to spend the energy to find some figure out what do we need to do differently sure but obviously sometimes in business if you don't adapt you could die off before you have the option to do that. Is that fair to say? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, that's, that's one of the things from in the, in the book and the frustration is you either, you either figure it out or you're going to die. You know, the, the company's going to eventually die. It can be a slow death. It can be a zombie or the leader's going to die. And it sure. doesn't have to be just physically. It can be emotionally just, uh, it's never going to change. And that, and that really comes from that relationship, the ability to confront reality. Sure. If you don't have that ability to confront reality, I, I tell people in Chapter 2, if you can't confront reality, all of the great business tools out there that, that you're bombarded with, none of them are going to work for you. Sure. Because they all assume that you're going to look at what's going on and make adjustments with the information they've provided you. If, it would say it's how to hire people better. Okay. They're going to assume you're going to look at how you're doing it and make adjustments. If you're not, it's not going to work. Sure. You need to be open to change, right, basically? Well, it's that, it's that ability to be open to the truth yeah, okay. and taking That's responsibility. 
don't know if you've seen the culture code uh, yeah. book. Yeah. But it's got a number of examples of how these high-performing organizations have specific uh, processes or rituals where they go and examine how things are in an unvarnished way to get to the truth so that they can make it better. Sure. And, and that's, that's, what, that's what confronting reality is. No, I, I think that's great. So obviously, like, we, we want people to kind of go read the book. But I think you and you've kind of touched on it a bunch of times, kind of um, the kind of a business kind of alignment tools. What exactly do you kind of mean by that? And what exactly are some of them just to get people thinking about some of this stuff? You kind of quickly mentioned it, but I think we need to dive a bit deeper on those. Yeah, business alignment was a term alignment was a term that came to me after reading a lot of these these books and i, I seem to see the word alignment and, and think about it if you have uh, there's one uh, book called the advantage by patrick lencioni who, okay. who also did five dysfunctions of a team and he said hey the the true um competitive advantage today because things are changing so much is the ability to have a healthy organization. Okay, interesting. And a healthy organization is if you had people on the same page that they had the same answers to six key questions. Okay. And I won't go through all of them, but one of them literally is like, you know, what what is what is it going to take for this company to be successful? And what is most important right now? Okay. If, if you have a leadership leadership team and they can't on their own if they answer that question what's most important right now and if they answer that question differently even slightly differently they're inevitably working against each other right sure and think about you know rowing a, a canoe or a boat and if you're all kind of slightly going in different directions you know that that gets painful and you're not going to get to where you want to go in the most efficient manner. You're not aligning your efforts towards getting where your goal is. So business alignment is answering those important questions. So you're aligning your efforts, day, you know, not just on a big, big perspective, but also in those micro decisions. Hey, what should we get done this morning? Well, hey, the most important thing in the company right now is X. Well, why don't we work on that versus you know, everyone kind of having slightly different answers to that most important question. And that's, that's one question I tell when I talk with people that are in the earlier parts of their careers and maybe work, maybe looking to go join a company. I always tell them like, if, if they ask you during the, the interviews, Hey, do you have any questions for us? I say, ask them that what's most important in this company right now. Interesting. And if you get a lot of varied answers, my bet is that company's dysfunctional because if someone from finance is saying it's this and someone from sales is saying that, guess what? They're fighting it out in emails and meetings all the time and they're not in alignment. And so that's what business alignment is, is trying to, to get those things out on the table so people are more clear on that. Sure. And, and, and they're not fighting each other, but they're working together on things. Sure. I, I... No, I, I think that's that's interesting. The, the one thing, too, that I'm curious to get your thoughts on, and you again, it's kind of another chapter in the book about maintaining the alignment, because I think it's part of the biggest problem probably with some of this stuff is, like, you know, people are open to change. They've accepted the reality. They know they need to change. And, you know, they go through this kind of workshop or, or whatever they want to call it for a few days or months or weeks or however long it takes then like maintaining that you know a month or six months or a year from now like how do you actually go about kind of maintaining that new kind of you know alignment because i think people go back to their desks and they just kind of chug back along like nothing ever changed maybe after a couple weeks or, or something like how do you keep that company kind of aligned uh somebody that uh, I work with, his name's David Chavez, and he, he does business alignment implementations. And he said, uh, your employees have an uncanny ability to, once you get everything checked off and, and things are in, in order, 
they have an uncanny ability to go back and uncheck boxes. Totally. And it's 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 kind of it's a natural slide. I had this one theory that things are kind of in a natural state of decline unless you're trying to keep them at a higher level. It's just gravity kind of sure. grinds them down. So understanding that, hey, the natural way is companies rarely slide into high functioning performing teams, but it happens all the time where they they slide into dysfunction, right? So sure. natural understanding your natural and getting back to that the chapter two about confronting reality is you got to confront reality all the time just because things are going well doesn't mean they're going to keep going well sure in that if, if you operate under the assumption hey we're sliding into a problem and andy grove his book uh you know only the paranoid survive there's some truth to that i mean if you look at nature the 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 animals that are 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 fat and happy are the right description, but (laughs) aren't worried, are complacent. Those are the ones that tend to get picked off versus the ones like, hey, just constantly, constantly checking their assumptions. And again, it gets back to neuroscience thing too. From a brain standpoint, the brain doesn't want to spend a lot of energy on things it doesn't feel it needs to. Sure. But... You know, reminding you, hey, let's 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 spend some energy. Let's let's look at some things, and in scheduling things, when you schedule things out, hey, is it once a quarter? Is it twice a year? We're gonna have some time where we can step back, spend some, use our brains to assess whether or not we're maintaining the alignment. To question things, hey, is the most important thing right now still this, or for our company to survive today? is a lot different. In one of your shows, you guys were talking about BlackBerry. You know, sure. things changed yeah. in that space. And if they don't, and, and, it, and there's a great book on it. I don't know if you've seen the book, uh, Losing the Signal. No, I haven't seen about it. About the research in motion in BlackBerry. Hi, you know, Canadians, you guys should all read it. Uh, <laughs> yeah, fair. Your last guess was from Waterloo. So yeah, right there, yeah. But, uh, but the two partners in research in motion or later blackberry they 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 started to see it differently what was important and one really stayed uh, grounded in what was originally important and they had trouble adjusting that i don't know if they could have overcome it because things changed so rapidly but by not doing it the tension and the anger that that really built up that's a point where these guys uh, I don't know if they both became billionaires, but they, they made a lot of money. Yeah. But they don't talk to each other anymore. I mean, they changed the world. Yep. Well, and and it it gets to the, that that it built up such emotion and anger that it really tainted it. Where if you go back to Jim Collins stuff and the high performing teams, he they describe it as a lot of them describe it as a love affair. It was the love affair of their life outside of their marriage that. You know, working together cohesively as a team was very fulfilling, and that's because they weren't working against each other. Sure. Yeah. No, that's interesting. Yeah, like it, just looking back on on that company now, and just how much they just decided not to do some of the things that they did, or or the choices they made is 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 quite fascinating. But I, I'm curious to know. Um, you also have a magazine. What exactly is the magazine about, and why did you kind of decide to do a magazine? Sure. Well, I did the book, and the book provided a map and structure. Okay. And I, I, I relate. I relate stories in there, and and tried to make it how to apply it in the real world. But obviously, I couldn't cover everything. Sure. And what I found was, and I talk about the different types of tools not only the, the, the alignment tools, but what I call bolt-on tools, which are things that focus on one aspect of the company, say uh, its purpose, and like Simon Sinek's Start With Why, or how to hire people better using things like top grading. 
or how to improve your operations by using checklists or lean operations. You got all of these great tools out there, but how could you, I wanted to, to talk to business leaders and hear their stories about what is working in the real world and are they getting a return on the, their investment to improve their company um, from a time and money standpoint. So I wanted to bring real, to talk to real people and to bring different tools to, to business leaders and have it organized the way the book is in terms of it references the map I give in the book and on my website so you can organize all the business tools, kind of know once you find where you're at, you kind of know which one to go in and which order so that you're every time you get the magazine, it's like, okay, hey, I need help here or I'm looking for something. I, I really want to get insight into this tool. There's, there's a, in an upcoming issue, there's uh, two articles that touch on EOS traction, entrepreneurial operating system, which is gaining a lot of popularity. And you have two different people and how they implemented it in their companies. Okay. And you get a sense of, instead of just hearing from the consultant trying to explain it to you, hey, let's hear from, from the person who actually did it, and sure. are they getting a return on their investment? So that's what the magazine's doing, is bringing stories to life uh, from that standpoint. And I found while I was doing the interviews and doing the magazine, the, the magazine's coming out uh, in May. Okay. And I offer all your listeners a free copy uh, at, at confidentroi.com. They can register register for it. But I found when I was writing the articles and listening to the stories, like how am I going to convey this emotion that's really there when people are at these, these challenging moments? And that's why I decided to make a podcast as well with the same same title, Confident ROI, sure. it talks to business leaders to hear their stories about what's working and not working so that other people can avoid the pain or at least know about it beforehand because some of these things are painful to implement. Yeah. No, that's that's actually quite interesting. I, I also think, too, sometimes it's hard for people to understand if it's not in their industry, right? Or it's not kind of related to the problem that they're trying to solve, right? Even if it's kind of similar, I find sometimes they just, some people just can't put the two together, right? And I don't mean that mean, it's just, we all think differently, right? But if if they, like you said, if they can kind of see somebody that's done it kind of exactly what they need and hear kind of the pros and cons and how it went, I think that's a lot more useful to somebody than like you said somebody just saying like you should do this it just makes total sense it's like well sometimes people just don't think like that have you kind of experienced that as well yes and i've learned that the, the universal way we learn is through stories okay and hearing what other people do we're wired to hear stories sure again we got those ten thousand year old brains that they've been we've been telling stories for a long time Sure. And, and that's how that we take things that aren't necessarily a, a one for one match, but say, hey, you know, I correlate and it, it apply. I can learn this and apply this in my business. And when the brain, the individual's brain makes their own um, connection and their own when when the light bulb goes off in their own brain, that's totally different than saying, no, this still applies to your company. Sure. When the individual goes, you know what, that applies like this in my company. And then the other thing I would say about industry specifics is when I started working in the early nineties, yeah, there were industries were more traditional, but man, the industries today, they're, they're changing and they're so nuanced and there's so many new ones that how can you say it's my industry? I mean, the, an existing yeah, industry today, it, it's changing so fast. I mean, just take BlackBerry, right? Yeah. I mean, they're in the smartphone industry. Well, boy, that changed quick. Yeah, like Apple basically and destroyed them change. in what? Three to five years? Yeah, I mean, and and they had good assumptions. I mean, I, I, I switched an iPhone from a BlackBerry and I switched back. Me too. But eventually oh, you Apple switched back. Got, Interesting. I switched back to BlackBerry. And uh, so it's... but. 
how can you say my industry? Because yeah, that's interesting. Industries are changing and they're changing really fast. And, and you almost have to learn from other industries because if your industry hasn't changed, oh boy, you're really right for somebody coming and questioning all the assumptions in your industry and upsetting the apple cart pretty quick. Sure. So wait, just so I'm clear, I'm curious now. When did you switch back to BlackBerry? Like since they went Android or was it before that? No, I I got one of the early iPhones. Oh, okay. I see. I got you. It was 2007 and I I returned it like within the return period. I returned the the iPhone. It just gotcha. wasn't wasn't quite ready for prime time, but sure. um Yeah. There's times I've missed the BlackBerry. I just, I miss the uh, the ability to push the, you know, the hot the hot dial like you could have. Yeah, like the uh, scroll wheel. You mean, or the little like little wheel in the middle, the little ball in the middle, or both. What What I love <laughs> is like I can make W. Um, I could I, I just press W hard and hold W down, and it would call a number I had signed to W. Okay, interesting. I love that. Yeah, I love that feature. The the physical keyboard. And I love the battery. Yeah, the battery. I had one too. Or like the side scroll wheel was amazing, and then the little like ball that they had in the middle for a while. I know some Android phones had that too, but they did those things really well. And that like keyboard where you could set up like shortcuts, like to call somebody or just type mm -hmm. on, was nobody's matched it, my opinion anyway. And it sounds like you feel the same way. <laughs> It was really, you know, I think it's 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 um, it's interesting that the market said, "Hey, there's no demand for it." Um, but it was just interesting how how even for me is like, well, the ability to have I love reading books and listening to them. Sure. The ability to have that on the iPhone is like, okay, I'll give up some of those features for that. Yeah, you know, that, that's where trade offs and uh, and what what is. What's the best? I've never, with technology, I still haven't come across the perfect thing. Sure. There's always a pro and con to every, every device. Totally. Yeah. No, that's fair. So you, I, I know we haven't really covered it that much, but you, you're also, you know, obviously consult on this stuff as well. Is there anything else that, you know, we haven't really covered that you want to mention? Because we are kind of coming to the end of the show that you do, you know, help companies with. Sure. What I, what I focus on is helping companies find their starting line and okay. specifically the leaders, because a lot of business on, concepts, books, they find leaders and they might identify a problem that the company's having. But a lot of times it's, it's not the right system for that's really what the big issue is for the company. Okay. A quick example is uh, was involved with one company that was having a number of issues, but it's having trouble on its front lines, just billing its customers, capturing what it was doing and billing it. And they spent $30,000 on bringing in a lean expert, right. brought in 10 people from across the country, had them in a, an expensive hotel for a week, mapped out the whole system on you know 30 feet on the conference room board, then remapped it presented it to senior management, everyone's good. You know, a year later, nothing had changed. Totally. And, and the reason was, is that's really was, wasn't where they should start. And helping companies find where to start. They had an issue there. There, there were a number of issues in it. But if they would have taken a step back and fi found out where to start in terms of answering some of those bigger questions on uh, aligning the company from the inside or with uh, at the what I call the core, and, and as well as one step farther back from that, making sure that that the leader and the leadership team was able to confront reality. If they're not able to confront reality, uh, if they have things what I what I call emotional no fly zones, if certain things are off off the table yeah. in terms of hey people or products or how we do things, we can't change that. And I tell them if if you have those sort of things. Mm -hmm most of these things aren't going to work for you. Let's identify them. And that's what I really help people do. Let's get those out on the table. And okay. if you don't like me pulling back the carpet and showing you the things you don't want to see, then fire me. 
but you're going to save a lot of time and money and your credibility with your team and that, Hey, you didn't, you didn't start something you really weren't up for, for finishing. Sure. And so I help them find out where they're starting so that they got a much better chance of being successful instead of starting kind of at the wrong point, spending time, money and their credibility and not getting the results they want. Sure. And you're right. Like if they're not willing to change, it's over, right? For them, like you're done. You, you, there's no point in you spending your own time with that company. Fair to say? It, 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 I just, I just expand the change to you. Got to be able to confront reality. You don't okay. necessarily have to change, but BlackBerry confronted reality. Like, okay, we can't be a handset maker. Sure. We're going to have to use Samsung or do something different. And so you have to be able to confront reality because even it's like, okay. I see the common reality and I'm not necessarily going to change, but I'm going to adapt so that we can survive. Okay. Because not everybody's willing to change, but they are willing to confront the reality of, okay, things we're living in a different world. We're going to either have to accept different outcomes or question our assumptions. And maybe they're not ready to do that. Sure. But at least they know where they're at. Yeah, that's interesting, actually. Yeah, that's that's quite fascinating. But but sadly, Alex, we're out of time. So let's close with mentioning where people can get more information about yourself, the book, the magazine, the podcast, and any other links you want to mention. Sure. They can go to confidentroi.com. And they can register for the magazine, get a free copy in both digital format or physical in your hand. We'll mail it to you uh, format if you sign up there, as well as you can get a link to the podcast as well. Uh, The book Transform Your Company is available on Amazon and in both uh, physical, Kindle and audio version. And if you send me a, a LinkedIn message, I will send you a free copy if you mention building the future and so that uh, you can get a copy in your hands. Perfect. And if you also like to schedule time, uh, schedule 30 minutes to talk about uh, your company and your situation, do a complimentary uh, Skype just to help you find where, where you're at. Perfect, Alex. Well, I really appreciate you taking time out of your day to be on the show and I look forward to keeping in touch with you and have a good rest of your day. Well, thanks, Kevin. It was a blast. Thanks very much, man. We'll talk soon. Thanks. Bye. Thanks for listening. To join the free community, buy some merch, sponsor the show, or sign up for the newsletter, please visit the website at buildingthefutureshow.com. The music for the show is done by Electric Mantra. You can check them out at electricmantra.com and keep building the future.